0: Well, hey there, and welcome to the Untangling Life podcast with Rachel Wojo. I'm so excited to have an incredible guest today. Today we have Gary Miracle. Gary, thank you so much for being here today with us.
1: Hello, good morning. This is an honor. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. So you and I met, wow, I can't even remember. Has it been two years?
1: It's been, yes. Two, yeah, two years, almost like this month or next month, yeah. I think. Okay.
0: Okay. So we met at the Crooked Can in Hilliard, mm-hmm. where my friend Aaron Conrad scheduled an event for you there, a meet and greet so that people could get to know you and in your ministry and just who you are, all the good stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to go meet this guy. Oh, um, my husband doesn't hear me say that very often. So he came with me and we both had the privilege of meeting you there. Yeah. And so what kind of event was that for you?
1: That was a great breath of fresh air for me. Um, You know, it's, it's great going somewhere, you know, I'm able to travel quite a bit right now. But most of the things that I do, I'm, I'm really like in and out pretty quickly. And, you know, being able to You know, really talk and fellowship with people is, is great. And I don't get to do it that much. So to have just a whole night dedicated for just that, it was, it was wonderful. It was really great.
0: It was fun. It was fun for us too. And so we chatted for those who are already my listeners of the podcast on a regular basis. They sort of know a lot of my story and the fact that husband and I lost our daughter to a rare metabolic disorder on January 2nd, 2019. So it it was sort of when I met you, we had gone through the first year of grief and we're still reeling with all of the grief. And I... Gary, with all that you've gone through, I just want to say before we even get dive into you being able to share your story on the podcast that I was just so impressed that you would have such empathy for our Mm. family and our loss. And I just want to say thank you for that, the fellowship of suffering and understanding. Um, (coughs) I mean, something that you said to me that was really, really meaningful and I haven't forgotten. You said, gosh, guys, I would rather go through what I've gone through any day of the week as go through what you've gone through. And it was just so precious because I thought, dude, none of us should compare our suffering, right? But just the obvious empathy and longing that you had for us in the loss of our daughter was so special. And I just wanted to come out and say, thank you from the beginning for Man, that. It really was meaningful
1: to me. That is so great to hear. I mean, through such tragedy and probably very difficult conversation, like, thank you for sharing that with me and being so honest about that.
0: I just appreciated your, um, your willingness to weep with those who are still weeping, even though mm. many people believe that after you've lost someone, there's a certain point where you should be over it, you know, and get over it. And so it just meant a lot to me that you didn't have that expectation of us. Well, it's easy for people to see you when they see you on a platform to see that you are a living miracle. But since our audience is only seeing you on video, and they're hearing you on audio for the podcast, I would love it if you would just share what happened to you in December of 2019.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It's, uh, it's crazy, you know, to think like I'm able to share this portion of my story and, you know, to, to sit here and share it. And then like, sometimes listen back or watch it back. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like that's, that's me. Like that happened to me. <laughs> like sometimes it's so crazy. Like it's hard to remember that, but um one of the reasons that it is is you know i i was 39 years old and i i would say up until that point in my life i was i was more or less living i mean i guess you would call it like the all american dream like i i grew up in an incredible christian family my parents you know drug us to church a southern baptist church here which means we were at church like eight days a week it's what it feels like most of the time but you know, I grew up in that. And, you know, my sister, I have one sister, she's four years older than me and she's one of my best friends and she lives three miles in one direction from my parents and I live three miles in the other. So we're still very tight. We're, we're that family that does like Sunday lunches after church every Sunday at my parents' house. Like it's unbelievable. So I I really do feel so blessed and the things that I was able to do. And then December of 2019 hit and completely rocked everything that i knew you know about about life and faith and, and all that kind of stuff so okay that was a really long intro so here it goes um it was december 26th. it was a day after christmas in 2019 i started feeling sick uh, it was flu season we lived down here in central florida I'm pretty sure it was probably flu season everywhere you know that week of the year but i i started feeling sick and it was that goofy week of the year that you know, my primary doctor, they, they don't hold regular hours the last week of the year. So I ended up taking myself to the emergency room and they asked me a series of questions and they chalked me up to the flu. So I, they told me I had the flu. They gave me a Tamiflu flu shot, a steroid shot and sent me home with the, you know, the, the candid response of, hey, drink a lot of water, get a lot of rest. If you're not better in 10 days, come back and see us again. Well, the next day came around and I was feeling much worse. So I ended up taking myself back to the same emergency room and I was having an allergic reaction to the Tamiflu shot they gave me the day before. So they gave me another steroid shot to kind of counteract that and gave me the old, hey, go home, drink lots of water, get a lot of rest. If you're not better, come back and see us in 10 days. And to make a really long story short, it was on December 31st. So five days later from me starting to feel sick, I ended up going back to the emergency room for the fourth time in the matter of those five days. And same hospital, same doctor, same nurses, they looked at me, they looked at my family, and they rushed me back and they admitted me this time. So they they knew something was kind of going on. So they admitted me this time. And while they were hooking me up to all of their machines, which there ended up being 46 of them in total that I was hooked up to at that time. They, they had me all hooked up and they looked at my family and they told my family, you know, the kind of statements that no family ever wants to hear, but they told my family, like, we don't know what to do with him. We're at the end of our rope. We're minute by minute with him right now. Uh, let them know that they were going to make me as comfortable as possible because they gave me a 1.7% chance to live through the night. And they told my family that they should call the rest of my family and my friends in to come say goodbye to me. Like it's wild, you know, in a matter of five days, you know, I had the flu to now I am admitted into the hospital with a 1.7% chance to live and And what happened was I I developed a blood infection over those four or five days, and it just ran through my body incredibly fast. And I was going into multi-system organ failure and falling into septic shock. So they put me into a coma here's my disclaimer. Like, this is the, the beauty of my story right here. So everything that I'm saying to you right now, maybe like a complete lie. I don't know. I slept through all of this. So this is the best part for me. So I got to sleep through all of this. So this is just what they told me happened, but I'm pretty sure they were right because I, I don't have hands and legs right now. So, uh, but Hey, spoiler alert. Like I, I, I didn't die. Like I'm right here. This is me. So that's kind of exciting. But uh, when one of my family members was coming to the hospital, uh, she was actually working at another hospital at the time. And while she was driving over, she felt like she heard from the Lord and and tell her that I should be at a hospital with something called an ECMO machine. And I had never heard of ECMO machine. I don't know if you have or many people have, but uh, I'll explain what it is in just a second. So she arrives at the hospital where I'm at. She tells the doctors and the nurses like, hey, I think Gary needs to be on an ECMO machine. They let Everybody know that they didn't have one of those machines at the hospital, but if they felt that that strongly, that they would be willing to initiate a transfer for me to go to a different hospital. Because again, like they were at the end of their ropes. They were pretty honest about that early on. So my family sits down and they start researching and come to find out at that time, there were only seven hospitals in the whole state of Florida that had an ECMO machine. And one of them happened to be in Orlando, which is a little under an hour away from where I am at. So they called the helicopter. The helicopter came in, got me, um, I got into the helicopter around 11 p.m. on December 31st, 2019. So literally like one hour before the rest of us here on the East Coast were about to celebrate Happy New Year, I'm being put into a helicopter and I got into it and got to the hospital I was going at, got taken out of the helicopter, rushed into the ICU unit, hooked up to all 46 machines. Once again, they looked at my family, they looked at me, they looked back at my family and they said, why is this guy here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, they confirmed the 1.7% chance to live. They confirmed the septic shock, the blood infection, the multi-system organ failure, everything that I was going through. And my family looked at him and said, well, we're here because we know you guys have an ECMO machine and we think Gary needs to be on it. And before they could get that out, they were interrupted and instantly told that I was not a candidate for the ECMO machine. And it was super confusing. Like, why would the Lord open all these doors for my family member at the time to feel like she heard from him, to getting to the hospital telling them about the ECMO machine, then being willing to transfer me and then me getting transferred just to show up at a new hospital that has the machine that we felt like the Lord said I should be on to be told I'm not a candidate for. Why would I go through all of that just to die at this hospital instead of the one I was at? It it was very confusing. But they gave my family the whole, but we're gonna make them as comfortable as possible um, while while we can. So That's what they did. And if you know much about hospitals, you know that 7am and 7pm are the shift change times every day. So 7am rolls around. I've been there for a couple of hours at that point. And they were doing their shift change. And the first thing that the day shift people do is they make their rounds of their patients that they have for that day to see kind of what they're up against to see what they're what they have in store for the day. So they get to my bed. And they're they're at the foot of my bed and the night shift doctors and nurses are filling in the day shift uh, employees who had just clocked in about my story. And while they were standing there talking, um, getting the rundown of me, all 46 machines in unison gave out the long beep and at 7.18 a.m. on January 1st, 2020, I died laying on the hospital bed right there. And they said it was just like out of the movies that my whole body started turning blue within like 30 seconds. Code blue started coming over all of the loudspeakers. All of the doctors and nurses from the other section started running in. This 70-pound nurse soaking wet just jumps on top of me and just starts King Konging my chest as hard as she could to bring anything back. And they were were getting to the end of their efforts. And then at 7.29 a.m., so 11 minutes later, at 7.29 a.m., one of the nurses looked up at the machines and saw something move. And at that time, they found a slight pulse in me and uh, they were rushing out to my family to tell them that, to tell them that they found a slight pulse and that I had coded. And while they were out there talking to my family, the cardiac, cardiothoracic surgeon that was on call came out and said, you know, they called me because they talked to me about this patient. I don't really know what I'm doing here, but I'm a part of this now. And Gary just coded for 11 minutes. We don't know what we're going to do, but I'm going to throw up a Hail Mary and put them on something called the ECMO machine. And it was unbelievable. It's as if my family like took a deep breath and was like, all right, so here we go. So they rushed me back into the surgery and they put me on this ECMO machine. It's about a five or six hour surgery. And what the ECMO machine does and what it is, is it's a form of life support that people are put on after they receive a heart transplant or a lung transplant. Well, I didn't receive either one of those. So on paper, I was not a candidate for the machine, which is why they told my family that, Um, but they didn't know what else to do. So they put me back there. And the way that it works is people are put on this form of life support after they receive a heart transplant or a lung transplant. And doctors are pretty good at what they do these days. So most people who are on that machine are on it for like a day or two, and it keeps all of your other organs running strong while your new heart or your new lungs kick in. So the way that it does that is it takes all of the blood and oxygen and circulation from your whole body and it pumps it into your core to keep all those organs running strong well um while most people are on it for 48 hours at most but most really only 24 i ended up being on the ecmo machine for 10 days so for 10 days my arms and my legs were not receiving any blood or oxygen or circulation because it was all pumped into my core So my extremities just started dying on me. Um, My family had a pretty tough choice to make on my behalf while I'm in my coma because they didn't know uh, if I was ever going to wake up again. They didn't know if I was going to wake up, was I going to be a vegetable? Was I going to have any brain damage? Like They didn't know what to expect at all. Um, But they knew that my body wouldn't be able to take another round of septic shock or any kind of infection so when the doctors came to them to talk to them about my arms and my legs they had a tough decision to make regarding my amputations Um, and the doctors essentially boiled it down to do we do we lose his life or do we lose his limbs and my family looked at the doctors and said we'll take him back however you can give them to us So they made the decision on my behalf to go ahead and cut off both of my hands and both of my legs um, while I was there. So it's a heck of a, a 10 days that my body and family went through at the time.
0: And you've already shared with us some of your life before that, the shock of all of that, I just can't even comprehend. You go to the emergency room because you're feeling sick and then... 10 days later, it's like, okay, now I no longer. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now.
1: Advertisement sponsored
0: by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Have arms and legs.
1: Yeah, so the
0: such a huge, I can't even imagine when you started to wake up yeah. after this was over. How many more days was it after the 10 day
1: period when you started to wake up? So I woke up on the 10th, um, January 10th. I, I'll never forget it. Um, I remember I can still close my eyes and visually see it like, I remember my eyes cracking open for the first time on January 10th and I saw my mom's face and I swear my mom, she was like inches away from my face. She probably wasn't, but it seemed like that. Um, And I remember just instantly being like, oh God, put me back into my coma. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, mom, (laughs) if you're listening. Um, oh, Gary,
0: that's th- funny listen, that you should say it, that because I know
1: it's it's the first way I came into the world, so it might as well be the second way as well, right?
0: <laughs> I always say about Lazarus, you know, everybody's like, "Yeah, Lazarus rose from the grave and preached <laughs> this incredible message," and I'm like, "Why? What makes you think he even wanted to come out of that grave?" Like- right. He was in heaven, and then the second time he died, nobody talks about that. The fact that he died a second time can you imagine what well, was running through his head at that point? He was
1: like, a uh, he wolf. Wolf, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's hilarious.
0: Well, thank so, you. We both yeah. know that there are some humorous moments that you have to grab when you go through really tragic and difficult situations like that, because if you don't, you, you could drive yourself crazy. You could literally go insane if you, of course, number one, aren't trusting the Lord and aren't believing in his plan for your life. But then secondly, just grabbing for anything that you can to be thankful for and to be joyful for, because that is the only thing that can balance out that craziness. So you woke up, your mom's there. Anything else you want to tell us about that day that you woke up?
1: Yeah. So on that day when I woke up, um, my family, though they, they had offered to, to do whatever it takes to save my life, they still fought um, for, for the amputations to be delayed as much as possible. Um, so when I woke up, they had not done the amputations. By the grace of God, both of my hands were amputated on March 18th, almost two months later. Oh, wow. Um, my, my left leg was amputated on March 25th and my right leg on April 25th. Um, Had they done the amputations when they wanted to, uh, while I was in my coma, both of my arms would have been amputated above my elbows and both of my legs above my knees. And the quality of life without your four joints is drastically different. So um, Mm. they fought for the amputations. and, And the doctor said yes, as long as they didn't see infection start setting in because I wouldn't have been able to take that again, like I mentioned. So I woke up on the 10th of January and spent about the next five to 10 days just trying to learn of the gravity of my situation and everything that I had been through and, and what I was going through. And it was, it was very surreal to think. You know, my, my arms and legs at that time, they were, they were pitch black and hard as a rock. You could take a hammer and hit them and it would sound like you were hitting concrete. They were, there was two medical terms that they used to describe my arms and legs. The, the first one was necrotic. Everything was just dying. It was, that was a fairly common medical term necrotic. Um, but the second medical term they used to describe me, and I didn't think or know that this was a medical term was mummified. Um, my arms and legs were, they, they said I was turning into a mummy. And so I told my kids like, had I died, like that'd have been a pretty cool story. Like you can you tell your, Brandon's like yeah, my dad was a mummy when he died, so that's pretty cool. Oh man! So yeah, there's that, and that's that. That's yeah, there's that. That's Gary. Story. When
0: when I met you, and I heard a part of your story. I was like, mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about your last name? That applies <laughs> to your life,
1: and yes. you kind
0: of gave me a side eye. Like, no, I've not really thought about that before. No
1: it's uncanny the amount of people that ask me about my last name. Most people assume that I changed it. It's like my amputee stage name or something right now is what they think. But I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, you know, that I am carrying this name and and Christ is, is trying as hard as he can to make me live up to it.
0: Oh man. I just think that there's so much in a name. If you study the way that people in the Bible were named and how all of that was so significant and how God changed so many names throughout the history of the Bible from Saul to Paul and from, from to Abraham. And you could go on and on about that. And I just think that significance in your case is that he had a special work to do in and through you from the beginning. And that this, this work was, of such a miraculous state that you wouldn't even identify that name otherwise. I I just think there's something so special about that. It really uh-huh. reflects how God has worked in your life.
1: It does, uh, and and I'm so thankful. And and this is where I get to kind of flip the script a little bit to to talk to the people, is because I know, like you just listed out a couple people in Scripture where you know, Christ changed their name. And it was the kind of the culmination from from Paul to Saul kind of like the, those names, you know, are, are huge. But it was when lives were changed, you know, people took on a new name and, and they took on that new identity. And I am living proof in my life. And, and I get to share with other people, like Christ doesn't have to change your name in order for him to change your life. Like he didn't have to change my name in order to to allow this to happen to me. And so many times people think that they got to figure out what they're going through or navigate through it or to fix it or to get it right before they can get back on track with Christ or or to change some things. But that's just simply not true. And, and he can use the the brokenness of Anything, no matter where you're at, regardless of what your name is or what you're going through, he can use you right here, right now, if you're just willing.
0: Yeah. If you're um, listening for our listeners today, there are so many who Mm -hmm. struggle just to get out of bed and just to see life as a gift. Um, I, when I struggled with my daughter dying, I had to tell myself every day, basically, I did not die when mm-hmm. she died, therefore, God has a purpose for me. Therefore, I need to get out of this bed and serve my family. And so I would just start with the tiniest little things of gratitude. Um, I had a lot of practice with that when she was sick for so many years mm-hmm. and um, slowly losing her abilities by way of neurological degeneration. So I would like for you to share what What is it that got you through after you had those amputations and even in the days beforehand, those harsh reality, harsh reality of this is what's happening to my body. And these are the choices I have to make. I can choose life or I can choose death at this Mm -hmm. point. How did you walk through that, Gary?
1: So I. This is like the. Like, I want to say but God right but that's kind of the, the cheesy Sunday school answer and um, you know I I promise you like I'm not some super Christian that's going to give you this like christianese language here or whatnot but but uh, growing up with the foundation that I grew up with like in Christ and um, a couple years prior to this happening to me I went through what I would call a little bit of an identity crisis with who I was in Christ I I realized that for many years I had kind of taken on the faith of my parents, and, and I think that's what a lot of Christian children do who grew up in the church. And you know, I was kind of realizing that. So I I, I had to walk through that season and that journey in my life. And and then this happens to me. And I was having a conversation with my father in the hospital, and it was the day, the morning of my first amputations of my hands. And And while they were prepping me and getting ready to wheel me out, like I just had this realization that for 39 years of my life, the Lord had given me everything that I needed, like everything that I needed, not everything that I wanted. I wanted a lot more stuff, but he gave me everything that I needed. And I was reminded of the verse in the book of Job, chapter one, verse 21, that says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Mm -hmm. And for 39 years of my life, the Lord gave me hands and legs And right now it was just taking away time. And I've spent my whole life growing up in the church, like preaching that God is good and telling people that God is good, trying to convince people that God is good. So how dare I, like once I go through something traumatic, like live my life, like he's not good anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be able to spend my whole life telling people that God is good, preaching that he's good, convincing people that he's good, and then something traumatic happens to me. And I still choose to live my life. Like he's really, really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was that line in the sand moment for me. Like, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to go home, get discharged from the hospital with no hands or legs and sit on the couch and get addicted to pain pills and watch life go by and watch my kids grow up without a dad. And, and, you know, I've been the head coach of my boys, soccer teams and football teams for the last six years I'm doing stuff with my daughter's soccer team I'm thinking about her graduating or like no like I want to get back to life again like I don't want to go home and sit on the couch and and get addicted to pills and watch life go by like I want to go figure out what it means to live like not just be like I want to fight I want to be back out on the soccer fields and the football fields. I want to be coaching again. I want to be helping my daughter. I think about the day that my daughter gets married. Like I'm going to walk I I'm going to walk her down the aisle. Like I just, I had all of these things that I was just flooding my mind with of things to come that would give me purpose and give me hope. And I would just try to fight for them. Um, and then the craziest thing, like once people are telling you that you're a motivation and an inspiration every day. And once you start really working your butt off to, to get life back again, you start seeing the needle move in that direction. You start feeling a little bit like yes. the motivation and the inspiration yeah. every yeah. day. You start yeah. working out and you start training and you see you're getting stronger and, and you're able to stand. And that encourages you to do more and eat better and more, these things. So it was, it was that kind of stuff. Um, I had many, many setbacks along the way, skin breakdown on my legs, wounds popping up, relational breakdowns along the way. My, my wife at the time who walked through this with me decided to take another path in life. Like it wasn't done for the Lord to take away. There was still a lot of breakdowns in my life, but, but listen, if, if scripture is true and it is true that his mercies are new every single day, then I can live my life and say, regardless of what I'm going through, good or bad, like I'm going to choose to have no more bad days as a whole from here on out. So that was the stance that I wanted to take. And then I took all of that stuff and I put it down on paper and here we are. <laughs> yes.
0: And I, I cannot wait to read your book releasing entitled no more mm-hmm. bad days. And then the subtitle of this book is so interesting to me. You mm-hmm. have a subtitled trading the pursuit of, of perfection, For the gift of grace. So prior to your incident, would you say that you were a perfectionist?
1: I would say that I needed you to think that about me. Mm. I needed you to think that I was perfect. Um, I was a chameleon all my life. I turned into whoever I needed to be based on whoever I was with. Growing up in the church with my dad as my youth pastor, I needed to be the best kid in youth group. I was the drummer for the worship band. I would, I would lead Bible studies and devotions, and I was, I had to look like the perfect Christian. Yeah. I played a lot of sports. I always had, I had that chip on my shoulder where I had to be the fastest, the best. You know, the, all of it, and then. I was also the kid on Friday nights after high school football games, going to the parties, holding a red solo cup full of beer, not taking a single drink because I thought it was disgusting, but I had to look the part. So I held the beer standing there at the party. I changed my pursuit of perfection. Like I wanted to be perfect. I needed you to think that I was perfect. Uh, My desire, my desperate need for affirmation, my colossal fear of rejection, you know, you put those two things together and it's a recipe for disaster. And I burned a lot of bridges. I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of bad choices. And, you know, I never got hooked up and 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 into like the whole sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle by the grace of God. But I was equally as destructive with the amount of lies I told and the people that I was manipulating and then needing to change to get you to think that I was awesome. Like, that's all I wanted you to think about me was that I was awesome that you wanted to be my friend, so on and so forth. And and then I would just kind of move on. So that was that pursuit of perfection kind of ran its course because then I forgot who I was with you or who I was with you or what, why did I tell you or what character was I pretending to be in front of you? Like it was just a nightmare of a lifestyle and Every time I would get exposed or every time I would get called out or anything, I would I would run away. I would just run away. I have lived in six or seven different states and every single move that I moved on paper, It looked amazing and I got a lot of affirmation, a lot of accolades for it, but nobody knew I was only moving because I was running away from something that I didn't want to kind of come to a head. So it was easier for me to move and start over somewhere completely different than it would have been for me to face my mistakes and own them and work through them and mature and grow through them. So I just ran away. And then God was like, well, let's see if you can run away with no legs. So then he cut those off and you know, I just realized, I mentioned to you the, the identity crisis that I felt like I went through a couple of years prior to this happening to me medically. And it completely changed my life. And, and I'll say that I, I believe that I went from a Christian to a Christ follower when I was around 36, 37 years old, a couple of years before this happened to me. And then I just kind of gave up. And I realized that God's grace really is sufficient. Yes. And I remember when I was 11 years old, when I invited Jesus into my life, Pastor Randy Sensible was on stage and he said from the stage that Jesus is the answer. And then I lived my whole life. And here I am, 42 years old, going through all of this stuff. And really the only thing that I've learned along the way after all of this nonsense is that Jesus is the answer. And had I just believed that when I was 11, I think a lot of things would be different. But, you know, I want to trade that pursuit of perfection for the gift of grace yeah um, and I
0: think the the hardest person to give grace to as sure. as someone who grew up in the Christian faith, and I was from a very conservative background that was a little more about the rules and the regulations than it was about the love, mm-hmm. and so it took me until my adult years to really understand the love of christ and and what that meant. but I think because of that background. I believed that grace was something I was supposed to give to other people and there was no grace for me. Mm. And so that's when my mess ups would turn into cover ups like you were talking about. Rather than confessing and allowing God's mercy and grace to wash over me and recognizing my own humanity, I would simply try to revolt. And I didn't Mm. realize that that was a form of pride that I thought that I could just handle this on my own, or that I should be able to handle it on my own. And so I want you to encourage people for a minute about that gift of grace. How have you learned to give yourself that grace? Because there are a lot of times where I'm sure and you've talked about how you push yourself to go, you push yourself to exercise, you push yourself out of bed in the morning. But how do you reconcile that with there are times where you just have to say, okay, my body needs some extra rest today. This is who I am. This is how God is preserving my life. And in heaven it'll be different, but for now, I've got to give myself some grace.
1: Yeah. You know, I it's I don't know how long in my Christian life I I dusted over this this portion of scripture where it's pretty common scripture it says love your neighbor as yourself, right? Um, well, I guarantee you that my neighbors do not want me to love them. Like I love myself (laughs) to your, to your very point. Like I, I didn't at the end of the day, love me like at all. Like I, I got really good at loving my neighbor, all the do's and don'ts that you just talked about, but that's not what Christ called us to do. He called them to love them. Like we love ourselves. So you know, I know a lot of really rich, successful people that hate who they see when they look in the mirror, like they don't love them. And if you don't, if, if you don't love you, then how can you love your neighbor? Right. Um, you know, are we, are we loving our neighbor? Like we love ourselves. Can you put a temperature check on how you're loving right now and, and, and put that up against the mirror to see if you do love you. So anyways, I took that and I'm like, listen, like I need to love me. If I don't love me, if I don't love who I am, if I don't love what I look like, I don't have a fraction of the love in my life to give to you like, like I should. And, you know, we look good on paper when we're loving our neighbor, like other people see that, you know, it's some, and sometimes it's all good and sometimes it's contagious and other people want to do those things as well. But all the while, you know, in your heart, you know, you just, you know, you don't love you and you're just kind of faking it or going through the motions and so on and so forth. So really trying to figure out what that looks like, like, how do I love me? Um, You know, for me, that was realizing that, you know, a couple things like one, God didn't mess up on me. He didn't make a mistake on me, um, that God's really, really good. And then kind of the biggest thing in my life, you know, that I'm trying to come to grips with right now and sometimes easier said than done kind of thing. But, you know, I, I've realized that if, if, I wished that anything was different about my life. Like if I wished this didn't happen to me. If I wished I was further along in my healing journey. If I wished anything. Fill in the blank. Like if I wished anything was different, then I'm essentially taking the stance that God's doing a bad job. Like like I'm taking the stance that God messed up when He was planning my steps and when He was planning my days. And um, you know that's just not a stance that I'm willing to take. I, I saw Him show up time after time again to save my life. There's another verse in the book of Job, chapter 42, verse five says, all of my life I've heard about you with my ears, but for the first time I've seen you with my eyes. And growing up in the church and and living that life that I keep talking about, I've heard about Christ all of my life with my ears. Mm -hmm. And then I'm in the hospital bed and I'm looking up at an oxygen machine that should say 40, but it says 10. And then people rally around me and lay hands on me and anoint me with oil and pray over me. And then we get done with that prayer and we look up and the machine said 40. Like that's only Christ. Like we saw him show up with our very own eyes time after time again. And then you just spend a season like looking back at your life when things aren't dramatic and you're like, holy cow, like that was Christ. That was Christ. That was Christ. But we don't see it so much because of pride or feeling like any of the reasons that we could talk about right now.
0: But, right. right. Um, learning well, how
1: to love yourself is yeah. the easiest way.
0: And we don't get the full picture. I just think that that's so important to remember that we can't see into eternity we only have limited vision of what's happened in the past and what's going on today. And we can't see into the future. We don't know tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. And so the reality of all of that is, I think, just accepting God's gift of grace for today. His mercies are new every morning. And so um, I appreciate so much, Gary, you mm. being willing to take the time. I know you have uh, a hot schedule And I appreciate you being willing to take the time to come and chat with me for a little bit for my listeners. I do want to ask, where is the best (coughs) place for them to find you? I Also, for the video's sake, I want them to see this book cover. I um, Uh, pulled it out and printed it out so that when that releases, they know exactly where to go. So help me know what's the best website link for them to come and visit you.
1: Yeah, the kind of the central hub for all things me right now is just my name, GaryMiracle.com. Awesome. Um, And I
0: will be sure to provide when this episode releases, you guys can head out over to the link in the show notes and go directly to Gary's uh, book link so that you can order from wherever your preferred place is. But Gary, I wonder if you would just be willing to close out our time together with our listeners in prayer and just pray a prayer of blessing over them that they would receive the words that you've spoken for us. Too.
1: Absolutely. I would love that. Thank you. Yes. Um, God, thank you so much for everything that you're doing um, right now in this moment. God, thank you just for technology. Thank you for the things that we don't think about all the time, but thank you for, the means to, to be able to do something like this. And uh, whether whether it's me talking or or Rachel listening or, or anyone who's watching or listening along the way, God, like you've given us the ability to do these things. So um, thank you for allowing this. Uh, but God, I, I pray right now, Lord, for for everyone who is listening or watching to this, that that uh, we will understand, Lord, that you are crazy about us. Uh, God, that you are, you are madly in love with us and Mm -hmm. you promise us, Lord, that, that we will find you if we seek you with all of our hearts. So Lord, I pray that right now, Lord, that no matter what is happening in our lives, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we are up against, Lord, that whatever it is, it can be second place to our, our chasing you and our pursuit of you, Lord, um, I pray that you become the the primary focus in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will become the center of attention in our lives every second of every day. Lord, that we will be thankful where we're at, that we can be thankful what we're going through and and the position that you have us in, knowing that you love us way too much to leave us here. God, Mm -hmm. that you will continue to push us and continue to move us and continue to grow us and sanctify us Lord. So we love you, Jesus. I just pray for just complete surrender to you and your your will and your life um, and ours. So we love you, Lord. We pray that you will go before us and and protect us and expand our horizons and keep us safe. Um, We love you. We pray these things in your son, Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, thanks so much for listening today to the podcast. And you'll appreciate everything that Gary has especially go to the links in the show notes. And Gary, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Untangling Life podcast with Rachel Wojo. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to subscribe. For show notes and free resources, visit rachelwojo.com. See you again soon.